You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. <laughs> that is not the right sound bite. That Welcome is. to the Collective Cafe, a virtual coffee experience which takes place every single Monday through Friday, 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in both Alpha Collective's Discord, that's discord.gg forward slash alpha collective and startup clubs house in clubhouse it's free it always will be free there are no strings attached there is no bait and switch lurk or listen only chat with one another in our back chat or even come onto stage the coffee shop is open for business whether you're on the treadmill getting the kids ready for school getting yourself ready for work commuting into the big bad city or maybe just even commuting from your bedroom to your home office on monday we manifest on tuesday we talk thought leadership on wellness wednesday we discuss mental health wellness and life skills on thursday we do live book reads and discussions with the author and then on friday it's no agenda friday where there is no agenda Start your day off on the right foot, on the front foot, with virtual coffee, with the Collective Cafe, where we mastermind, we manifest, we collaborate, we help one another at the business of Web3 or anything else that intersects, whether it's culture, collaboration, creativity, innovation, disruption, entrepreneurship, or coaching. So give us a subscribe, bit.ly forward slash Collective Cafe to go, or a review on your favorite podcast platform if you're listening on demand or of course join us every day live it is addictive and remember it is a safe welcoming space and you will never ever be put on the spot this is alpha collectives collective cafe my name is joseph jaffe like a DJ, just uh, sliding levels up and sliding levels down. Hello, everyone. It is Friday morning, September 1st. Can you believe it? It is September 1st. Goodbye, August. Goodbye, July. Goodbye, summer. We are, uh, I don't know when the official first day of fall is, but it's coming. Or, you know, if you're in the southern hemisphere, spring has sprung. Well, not today, but it's spring. Sprunging. It's on its way to spring. Um, everything, it's the cycle, right? The seasonal cycles of life. Life and death, um, winter, spring, summer, fall. I'm getting very philosoph philosophical, not that I'm trying to. I uh, want to say hello to Rhonda and Praxim, who are in our Discord at the moment. And of course, to everyone, to all 48-ish of you. There are 47, someone just left. Uh, in uh, in Clubhouse, um, just a reminder that you are going to want to, if you are a human being and not a bot, uh, you and and you're not just like 
you know maybe you're like if this is a virtual coffee shop you just you know you're maybe you're on business maybe you're maybe you got lost maybe this is your first time here um and hopefully you want to stay around but if this isn't your first time here you're going to want to come and hang out with us in discord at some point discord.gg forward slash alpha collective and that is the link that is pinned above um, just because no matter what happens to Clubhouse in the big announcement, um, the fact is we're going to start to um, uh, move things around. We're going to, you know, one of our homes for sure, you know, hub and spoke model, right? So the hub is Discord, and then the spokes will allow us to be and simulcast and have a presence in the startup club, um, in Clubhouse. I mean, there may not be a startup club anymore. There may not be a startup club space house anymore we're not really sure what's going to happen uh, but we're going to start doing some uh, audio work in linkedin um, so maybe like on i don't know um, one day a week we'll be doing this in linkedin and discord uh, a couple days a week we'll be doing this in clubhouse and discord um, we'll and maybe one day a week we'll go back to twitter and discord so you know making sure that we really are I think practicing what we preach, which is the the rent versus own, the hub and spoke. I spoke about that a little bit yesterday as well. So um, the other advantage is that when you come into Discord, it's 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 a different intimacy um, as well. So I've just invited Praxim onto stage. Uh, Rhonda, I'm inviting you onto stage. You do not have to come, um, but uh, I am inviting you. It is, you know, because it is, um, no Agenda Friday, I'm going to invite uh, some of our regulars or people that have been uh, on stage before. Um, so I've invited Christopher and Chris. I'm just seeing who else is in the audience. Of course, you can raise hands as well because it's No Agenda Friday. So it's open mic. It's um, it's whatever's on your mind. Um, uh, well, I've got a topic, but Praxim, you've accepted the invite. Please don't uh, tell me when I ask you what's on your mind Please don't talk about the air conditioner. That's your cue. He, he has not unmuted. He has not taken the cue, uh, but he will, no doubt. No, I, I just uh, failed to press the button. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> no, I actually have a deep thought for you this morning. So I'm, I actually I'm came waiting. prepared, on, unlike the uh, uh, drama with the AC. So I, I was away this week to a pretty pristine part of the world called the Boundary Water Canoe Area, uh, which is a non-motorized. You're not getting there unless you paddle long hours and do portaging with your all of your gear and you know protective stuff. While there, my middle girl asks me, "Why do we come here?" And it's a is a pretty profane thought I wanted to share is that uh, not profound, profane, sorry, profound. Profo- <laughs> not profane, profound <laughs> thought I wanted to share, um, which is why do we go to places like this? And the answer I gave her is to reconnect with nature. But the the other part that I have had more time to reflect on is we also have time to reflect on our busyness in everyday life and what it means to be there versus be uh, connected to nature. So that is my profound thought for this No Agenda Friday. So why, why do you come to the Collective Cafe? It fills for me 
a aspect of understanding the world uh, that I don't get in my normal uh, uh, cycles for what air quote job. And so uh, the collective cafe is uh, exposing me to another aspect and aspects, and they're very multidimensional, as you know, we're not one uh, sheet of paper here. We're not even a, a cube. We're maybe a tesseract of thought. And I really appreciate that uh, in the morning. I, I also think um, that question can be reversed, which is, which is the question is, why do you come here? Which is me asking you. But also, I can reflect on that question too, because it's a question that I have to, if not ask, I have to know the answer to. Why do people come here? Why and and then you can start to, you know, you can start to ladder a little bit, which is why do some people come here but others not, um, and why do some people come here and others and and stay, and why do other people not? And so um, I'm I'm just going to mute you because there's a little bit of back uh, background um, uh, noise um, as well. Um, I also think um, I think every one of us should answer that question. You know, why, and it's not just the Collective Cafe, obviously, but, uh, you know, why do we show up? Why do we do what we do? Um, I love the question. It's actually, it's a deep question, but the answer doesn't seem deep. That's the weird part of it. It's like, oh, I don't know, because I've got nothing else to do. Um, or, I mean, you did kind of give what I thought was somewhat of a profound answer, uh, or at least it was profound to me. Uh, by the way, I realize I'm going to unmute you because, you know, if uh, now you've muted yourself because I was, I was realizing what I, I was realizing, is that even English, that um, if I do it, then you can't unmute yourself. Um, you come here because you choose to come here. So there's a, an element of free choice. There is an element of, um, you know, recognizing that there are other options. Um, and so when you just, unpack it slightly more it starts to get kind of interesting this dialogue um uh, there's always profound profane in you praxim and profound um because the thing is we always have choices we may not think that we have choices but we always have choice and we always have choices and sometimes it's not about well i had four rooms to choose from right Here's the, here's the challenge in life, right? The challenge in life is that life is not uh, a conference. Life is not going to an event where there are four tracks. Let's see, do I want to go to the mindfulness track, the marketing track, the skills track, or the AI track? Uh, and they're all happening at the same time. It's not that zero sum. I mean, it is, but not in the sense you think. It's not like you're like, well, I came to Clubhouse today and there were four rooms. There was this one that said open mic, no agenda Friday. There was one that said top 10 skills uh, for chat GPT prompts or whatever the hell that is. There was another one called uh, is it okay to date someone 20 years younger than you? Um, and there was another one called, um, you know, COVID masks are back. Let's revolt, right? So, the, the the interesting thing, of course, is the way I the way I even um, created that is uh, those decisions are a little bit easier. So now we've got an extra layer, right? We've got this idea of why do you come here? I come here because I choose to come here. Oh, you choose, which means you had a choice of other 
options? Well, actually, yes and no. I mean, again, it's not like it was four rooms or four tracks or four choices. Um, and it would be easy if those four rooms were very different. Um, it would be much harder if they are similar. It would also be much harder when the name in the title is often misleading, a la link bait. But, but here's another one. Oh, I've got a new phrase for you, Praxim. You're going to love this one. Uh, not link bait, but life bait. I think you know exactly what I mean, right? There's link bait and then there's life bait, right? There are all these decisions that are put forward to us um, and we end up choosing unique paths and, and, and make big decisions that have implications for our life um, and often um, are not the right decision or maybe, um, you know, it comes down to degrees of betterness as in it's good but could it have been better, I'm happy, but could I have been happier? I made the decision. I don't regret the decision, but was it the right decision? So there's a lot of color and texture associated with even that little thing. And then there's one more level just to go back to your, you know, to fully peel back the onion, um, which is sometimes it's actually just the choice of, well, if I didn't come here, I wouldn't have done anything. I would have... uh, Listen to the, you know, listen to Howard Stern, which, you know, I, I love Howard Stern. Um, or um, I would have just had CNN or Fox News or whatever I watch on in the background. Um, or uh, maybe a better choice, I would have spoken to my spouse or my kids. I would have connected with them. But the reality is at this time, where uh, unfortunately this is not generally the best time to be having profound conversations about the meaning of life, at least with your family. It is a time to have a profound conversation about the meaning of life in the collective cafe because you're typically doing something else. Um, So it's actually not a simple answer, is it, Praxim? Why do you come here? Uh, It is not. And um, I just wanted to say that the choice of doing nothing, air quote, nothing, right, is a choice in itself. So being passively engaged something versus proactively engaged in something is truly a choice. That is somewhere where our, our mind can go rather than be passive in the experience. Yeah. And I mean, even, even in my training and my, you know, my coaching journey now with EOS, that's one of the things that is also a clear, I mean, it's something that a coach and a facilitator uh, does have the ability to play the card, which is the decision not to make, you know, indecision and choosing not to make a decision is a decision in of itself. And actually, when you realize that, that's actually quite powerful, um, empowering uh, or challenging or challenge, I should say which is, well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to make this decision. Oh, it's like it's a big decision. Can we kick the can down the road? Can we, can we like do this next week? Well, you're making a decision. You're making a decision by not making a decision. And I think when people realize that, that's quite powerful too um, because it makes, you know, you're not accepting. You're not confronting. You are, you, you are, um, extending, you are perpetuating, um, you are exacerbating um, 
or uh, maybe the opposite. You might actually be giving grace uh, by allowing uh, a little bit more oxygen and a little bit more time. Um, so it is an extension as well. So yeah, there's there's. Um, I agree. The decision to do nothing. Uh, well, nothing can be something too, right? I mean, nothing really can. Agreed. Especially if you can train, yeah, but- if you can train your mind to like really, really appreciate the nothingness. You were going to say something. Yes. That, so so this goes back to being in a place where there isn't uh, a thousand and one distractions, uh, which is can you take time? Some people call it meditative, uh, uh, you know, whichever. Sometimes th- talking about profane, right, in the religious uh, aspect of not religious, like I – spending time away and meditating and watching sunrises and sunsets and just uh, being, it takes effort. Uh, in it takes many years of my life to realize that that maybe should be more important to take that time. So as a coach, I really appreciate that you impart that to your uh, students, uh, no matter where they're at, because we busily make these decisions. And uh, one thing I've learned is you only have so much power for decision-making that are high-quality decisions, and then they start turning into low-quality decisions because you're just trying to clear your plate. So quality of decision makes a huge difference here too. Decision-making power and high, I'm I'm taking notes, high-quality and low-quality decisions. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I think Hmm. about, right? Think about it. In the morning, in the day, you've been... Maybe you've been brief, you've been preparing, talk about a business aspect, and you make decisions because you're ready, right? The data's there, you've done retrospect, introspect, you know, all sorts of uh, angles, uh, sides, views, people, uh, data and opinion. But if you're just put on the spot, think about this one. What do you want for lunch? Right. And Uh and sometimes, uh, sometimes you know, sometimes you don't. Yeah, but you know, it's interesting because <clears throat> there can also be decision overload where mm-hmm. <clears throat> when someone goes, you know, what do you want? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't make a decision, right? So so what I realize is when someone, when someone says that, it's not that, it's, it's not that the decision, do I want tuna fish or not, is the tough decision. It's the fact that at that point there's just decision fatigue or decision overload. So it's not it's not that you don't know how to make a decision or you can't make a decision. It's the fact that there're too many things going on right now. And so you've actually almost like the um the the tank is empty. Right? You talk about decision making power. The decision making energy. The the it's empty. You need to recharge. How do you recharge? Your decision-making power is the question. That's the million-dollar question. Well, uh, there's some practical things that I think people need to be taught, and we are not. And then I think there's some personal ones that each person has to find on their own journey. And the practical things could be like good sleep, um, clearing your mind. Uh, All of these don't come for free, right? Right. Uh, they take effort, unfortunately. Uh, but then there's the bigger ones that we are on our own journeys to 
how do I get to a point when I'm not stuck in analysis paralysis, but can I, can make a decision, especially big decisions? <clears throat> I actually think I know the answer. Would you like me to tell you the answer? Uh, Praxim, would you like to know the answer? Sorry, mute button was not working there. Yes, yes, I, I do want to know this answer. Um, and I actually think, I think I've found, I think the answer lies actually within this EOS framework because the answer is to clear, you've got to clear your plate. If you if you are if if you feel you're on low energy or no energy or analysis analysis paralysis, the way to actually recharge is to clear all the the indecision and all these things that need a decision off your plate. It's like it's the concept. It's the same concept of of the to do list. We have normalized the to do list. We've normalized the fact that. You know, everyone says, they almost joke, right? I do it, you do it, I'm sure we all do it. We're like, well, you know, I came to work with 10 things on my to-do list and wouldn't you know, I left with 22 things on my to-do list and none of the original 10 things got done. How many of you have said that before? You know, answer everyone. (laughs) There's a problem, right? Because you don't have a technique or a process to be able to clear your to-do or to make decisions. And so if you have the ability to say, you know, it's, I mean, the extreme is we're not leaving this room until someone has made a decision, right? Sometimes you have that, right? I mean, isn't that kind of the concept of a jury, right? Which is we're going to lock you up until you've come to a decision. There's no, well, you didn't make a decision within 48 hours. I guess the murderer goes free. doesn't work that way. You are, lock, you are locked into a room until you make a decision. So that's the extreme one that says nobody goes anywhere until we've made a decision. But I think there's a much easier way, which is if you can get rid of decision overload or indecision overload, that's when you actually recharge your decision-making power. Because you also get, you get good at it. Like We are actually like hoarders, if you think about it. We hoard indecision. Like we can't let go. We're possessive over these decisions. We can't just get rid of it. We can't just send it to Goodwill or or create a decision tag sale or decision lemonade stand. We can't do that. It's a decision garage sale, I should say. We don't have the... If we could do that, if we could actually detach our emotions to the decision or to the indecision and get them off our plate, that's how we actually end up ironically with the very thing that you spoke about at the beginning, which is, which is this idea of, of, of nothing. Why did you come here today? Why did you make the decision to come to the Collective Cafe? It wasn't like, well, I was choosing between five rooms. It's, it could have been I was deciding between this room and doing nothing. The beauty of both is that there is intention. There is intention. I decided to come here. This was my decision, my free choice. Or I decided not to do anything. And in that, by the way, the beauty of nothing is that nothing should not be noisy. Right? Nothing should not be noisy. Because when nothing for you is just 
You can't actually survive with yourself. You can't be comfortable with yourself. You like are so damn on edge when you're by yourself. That's not the good nothing. The good nothing is peace, is peace of mind, peace and quiet. The ability to actually say, oh my goodness, the decisions are just, you know, the ideas are just flowing. Shut it off. Sometimes you want to shut it off. You want to be like, like I am just like, there's so much creativity coming in here right now. So there's a very interesting it, continuum here. Yes, sir. Yeah, I also, so I remember teaching a young a peer of mine, also, you know, an MBA, he had some work experience, an MBA comes into the business world for product management. And, you know, you're, you're presented with a list of, I don't even remember what it was, 15 or 20 things that are all priority zero must, must be done. Well, how do you stack rank them? Right? So this, there's always a process and the process is contextual to what you're doing. But until he was led through the process, no amount of book smarts uh, had empowered him to go through how to prioritize the most important of the most important. So process and having a um, anchor, some people call it an anchor, a vision to what the goal is. Here, it's, this was very customer-centric, right? What does the customer need and not need? Obviously, they need them all. But so that you have to set that aside that that's not solvable because of restraint uh, constraints, right? So because we're in a highly constrained world, what do we do versus what can we do? And that's all process. And so, but again, this is, I, I learned the hard way iteration, right? I, I, induction. Nobody sat me down and said, here's a way. I wish somebody would have early in my career done that because it would have been much simpler. But as a coach, right, you probably hear this as pick a process, but stick to it. Well, I mean, the sticking, the, 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 I mean, that, that's, that's an entire room, that's an entire day's discussion about endurance and staying power and sticking to something. Um, and why, I mean, just like we have indecision, there's also, yeah, there's also in, there's also like the inability for us to, um, I was going to say indecisive, indecision, uh, but there's also this impatience that we have where we are unable to just make a decision and stay with that decision. So that actually that's the connection. The connection is that, I mean, that, that, that endurance, uh, how do you know it's the right decision, right? How do you know? Oh, now that, that is the perfect balance of what I've always referred to as art and science or data plus gut, right? Whichever your worldview is on this, and there's many other examples of this, is it truly has to be the intuiting and the observing, right? The data, the data plus the intuition to what will be the best outcome. Because otherwise, if you just follow one or the other, the odds that you're a, a you know an Elon or a Jeff, uh, Jeff Bezos and, and can see so far into the future to pick the right one are few and far between. Think think it less than one percent. So you have to then come with the tool ready and, and honed to be able to 
do it through process of both intuition and data driven. I'm thinking that the uh, name for the, if I put this together into a sub stack, it would be, I wanted to come up with a snappy title for this article, but I just couldn't decide. <laughs> so like I said, I, I, th- I at the beginning, it was not going to be about the AC today. I, I came with deep thoughts for you. Well, for us, I, I, I mean, I mean, the thing is, the thing is that, uh, and, and I'll be a little, a little uh, uh, editorially snarky, um, which is there is art and science, which is um, that your question could have just been left at that. Your point, your share could have just been left at that. A very superficial. Um, it could have just been a super, huh, interesting. Um, I don't, you know, like, oh, well, actually, it would have been, quite frankly, it would be like, well, that was interesting. Thanks for sharing the uh, this moment with your daughter. You know, and what did you say to her? Okay, that's great. All right. Well, um, that's all the time we have for. Let's go into the next share. Let's, let, let's go to the next person in the queue, right? That's kind of, you know, Clubhouse talks about they want to become more conversation amongst friends. Well, hopefully that's not the kind of conversation that we actually end up with, which is everyone has, you know, 30 seconds for their share, and then we move into the next person in the queue, friends or no friends. So there is a bit of an art there as well, right? My ability to take what you said and then say, well, why do you come here to the Collective Café? And then just to unpack it a little bit more, and there is art to it, as a you know, as a thought leader or a facilitator or someone who's you know, could I've done that in the very first session? No, I couldn't have. Have I grown into the ability to kind of take your words and use them against you? I'm just joking. Uh, sure, you know, because but that is but that also is the art in coaching which is when someone goes, what's the, you know, what do you think's the answer? What's the answer, Joe? The answer, the, the answer for is that the coach says, well, I don't know. What do you think's the answer? By the way, that's what therapists do too. They just turn it right back at you because their job is not to come up with the answer. Their job is not to make a decision. Their job, my job, is to help you make the decision and help you, and the best way to do that is to be able to create context, create some kind of framework or benchmark that you can evaluate, that you can, you know, that you can quantify or qualify that helps you prioritize. So, you know, to your point, Praxim, uh, a decision-making process, no doubt. So, yes, and. So I see uh, Bez and Christopher in the audience. Chris came up to stage. It's 8.30. Uh, I, I am uh, obligated, based on my c- contract that I've made with myself, to now say to Chris, uh, Chris, uh, do you want to change the subject? Or are you happy just listening? He's off mute, but he's silent. This happened the other day as well. So it appears you're talking, but no words are coming out. So I don't know if you want to reboot. Silence is a decision in of itself, isn't it, Praxim? Yeah, unless technology foils us. 
Oh wait, so Chris. Oh wait, uh, Chris uh, John Christopher John Martin said I can hear Chris. So I don't even know how to handle. Hold on, I don't even know how to handle that. That's just a clubhouse. Oh, I think I'm plugged in. Well, hmm, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to tell you because I think all my buttons are working. Um, the only way to test is for Christopher John Martin's to come up. And let's see if that works. Okay, he's up. What what say you, Chris? No, I can't I can't hear him either. That's weird. I don't know if you have a way to disconnect and reconnect from the mm, clubhouse without closing not, the room. Yeah, well I'm recording this, so let's see. Uh I I took my little let's see now. Chris? It's the weirdest thing as uh, because oh you know what talk now can you hear me now yes I can okay there we are I'm yeah, not I'm sure what I did I think <laughs> I, I think maybe I just put the volume up on my phone or it was like in mute mode but that that shouldn't have been a reason to know but anyway we're back and we're back. Uh, Anyway, good morning, guys. Yeah, I'm fine with staying on topic, but I'd like to share some insight if you wouldn't mind. Uh, yes. Uh, Rhonda's saying it's very hard to hear today. So we're like, it's all happening. You know, it might have been actually that the sound was actually turned down on my phone. Um, so now the sound is up and everything. Let's see. I've moved everything up. This is the most I can do. Um, so hopefully it's better. But yes, go for it. All right. Anyway, what I wanted to share was that I am here today because I want to be right. And I, I believe that if I always know what I really want to do, right. The indecisiveness comes from the fear of the outcome, the expectation of the outcome, right. It's, it's, I never do not know what I really want to do. Um, the indecision comes from, being afraid of the fact that what I'm projecting the outcome is going to be is what it's really going to be. And that's where the indecisiveness comes from. I always know what I really want to eat. I always know what I really want to do. But when I start projecting and I start expecting the outcome to be a certain way, then that creates the fear that creates the indecisiveness. I was just, uh, as you were, as you were talking, I heard your GPS in the background, and I was thinking to myself, can you imagine if a GPS said, in 200 feet, well, I don't know, I suppose you could go left, but maybe, but what if, what if that leads to the, what if that leads to the wrong outcome? What, what if I end up making you late? Then you're going to be mad at me, so you, maybe you should just go straight, can you imagine that? You probably end up having an accident. <laughs> Yeah, right. That's the thing, right, is we are all based with so many different decisions every day. And once I started my coaching career and started trying to live a life of service, I realized that all I really need to do is what I want to do. And then if I can focus on that and do that enough times, something crazy happens. What I want to do becomes what I need to do. And then the indecisiveness goes away. Well, look, I mean, there's, there's a simple, you know, the, there are all these decision-making trees and rubrics as well, uh, as well in terms of prioritization. What, what can you do? What can't you do? What will you do? What won't you do? What do you want to do? 
What don't you want to do? What do you need to do? What don't you need to do? Um, and even with that can create the same analysis paralysis. Um, and then wrapped in all of that is this idea, well, what if we're wrong? What if we make the wrong decision? But I think we should all be charged <clears throat> or charged up with the fact that we're still, like I am still, you know, it may take the rest of my life to actually live this and prove it. Um, but it is that think and grow rich, you know, statement that says making the wrong decision early or quickly is better than making the right decision too slowly or taking too long to make the right decision. And even better than not making a decision at all. I love that. Those are rules to live by. Those are fighting words. I just wish, I just don't know how to prove it. I don't know if anyone here, whether it's, you know, Praxim or Chris or Christopher, um, has anyone got any real life stories to prove that out? Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, we, 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 we got a Chris Praxim. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, rock, paper, scissors. Okay. All right. Yeah, I was just going to say, I know personally in my own life, right, that uh, that I learn from whatever decision I make. So in my opinion, there is no wrong decision. It's always an opportunity to learn what the right decision might be later on, right? Every, every venture that I've taken, every mistake that I've made has, has groomed me to be the man that I am today. So I don't think there is a wrong decision. I think there is just fear about what the outcome will be. And that's that's the biggest thing, right? Is you know, perfect example, if I ask my wife where she wants to go to dinner tonight, she knows what she where she really wants to go to dinner. The fear comes from she doesn't know if I'm gonna want to go there, if they're gonna have any food that I like. Is the food gonna be as good as she thinks it's gonna be? All those things make it the possibility of the wrong decision when the right decision is to do exactly what you want to do. Yeah. I want to just, uh, Praxin, before you come in, I want to just add in another build here as well, which is sometimes we don't care. So this is almost like a hypothesis. Uh, it's, it's, it's a statement, but it's really a question. Sometimes we don't really care what the decision is. It's just the, uh, it's just the fact we didn't get to make the decision. So in other words, in other words, when your wife is, when you're saying where, or I forget it, whether it was your wife asking you or you asking your wife, where do you want to go to dinner? Or you asking your wife, I think, and then she says something, but then she's worried that you may not like the, the place. It, it, at the end of the day, when you take a step back, who, who, gives, who cares, right? I mean, we're not that we're like focusing on your marriage right now, but you know, um, who cares where you go as long as you go is my point. Like, does it really matter whether you go steak or sushi, whether you go, you know, French or Italian or Greek or American or, you know, whatever? It doesn't. It's we're going out for dinner. It's we're going to dinner. We're going out to dinner together. We are going out, which, by the way, you know, can sometimes be a victory in of itself. And so it's it's interesting because what we do is we create this level of anxiety and fear about the actual type of cuisine or what re- or restaurant name when actually we've lost sight of the bigger decision or the bigger picture which is hey we're going out isn't that awesome 
Yeah, that's a hundred percent. It's for me, it's about making the memory, right? That's the important thing. And even if you're trying a new restaurant and it ends up being not the, the best service or the best food that you ever had, then, then that decision has taught you that maybe you never want to go to that restaurant again. But, but, but like just, you said, the, but I, I'm just trying to like layer and now, so just to go back to it, sorry to interrupt you, is, is this idea of, can you imagine now it ended up being your wife's decision, you ended up going mm-hmm. to a restaurant, there was, you know, a fly in your food or the, or the waiter was rude or the food was cold uh, or the, the chicken was undercooked and now suddenly like it's on your wife again these are just hypothetical scenarios we we love your wife um and not as much as you do uh, but but you know what i mean now there's all this like weight this unnecessary weight on well you know you you know kind of like this was your decision i'm like it, it's so preposterous when we actually pack and unpack and everything um when we realize that we've actually lost sight we've lost the plot um, because now we're so far down this rabbit hole that we've like just lost sight of again. Hey, we're out to dinner, you know. Um, next one's going to be better, or next one you decide, you know, Chris, smart ass, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it, right? It, like to me, it's about spending time with loved ones and creating those memories. It's not so much about the location or the food. It's about, you know, doing what you want to do and being happy while you're doing it. Like you said, that's what the plot is. And as long as we focus on what it is we're really trying to accomplish, then, you know, good food, bad food, whatever, we're we're still making memories. We're still being happy, spending time together. And that's what it's all about. So, Praxim, uh, I want to bring you back because I'm between two worlds, the Discord and the Clubhouse. Yes, and this Discord is fantastic. Uh, that's a small D. Uh, so w- what I was going to mention is structure and boundaries on on fail fast. This whole concept is sometimes referred to as fail fast. So if you decide to fail fast on moon, there's this famous question, interview question, right? How do you move Mount Fuji over a thousand yards, right? Uh, the real question is, what are you structuring to fail fast at? Is it moving Mount Fuji? Is the test like how, what? What are you scoping to your problem, or are you saying how many trucks would we need, and it's impossible to get enough trucks to load the dirt up to move Mount Fuji over a thousand yards? So we, in b- being in the software realm, right? Fail fast is a very common thing, but you have to understand what you're trying to fail fast at. You know, I was going to say, my answer to that would have been just move yourself closer to Mount Fuji. Oh, I use it as an example. It's just one of these silly questions, right, to have a thought experiment, right? Um, You know, another one is how many gas stations are in the United States? It's to see how you solve problems, right? So problem solving and the fail fast have to go hand in hand. And part of it is scope and structure of defining the problem. So if the problem is sustenance or to Chris's, it's about just time together, then yes, any answer will solve the problem almost. Asterisk, right? But if the question is, is we've had that same thing 
15 times in a row, um, then it's no longer about sustenance. It's about choice, satisfaction, palate, uh, change. Some, some, the, a different problem has come in to be solved and needs to be prioritized appropriately if we're using the restaurant analogy. You know, I just on a completely different note, I, <clears throat> I always sucked at those interview questions and uh, I would never have got the job. I just could never, I just always just did really badly under pressure. Um, maybe you, you weren't supposed to get the job. Yeah, maybe. And, and you know, you know, the thing is, whilst I can, uh, I, I'm a good lateral thinker when, when it's not, you know, when, when, when I'm not under pressure, which I'm probably most of us are, I suppose. But I mean, like when it's not a test, like, come on, like be lateral, you know, it's like telling a comedian, be funny. Um, you know, I love thinking laterally and, and expansively, uh, but I don't like it when it's like, what's the catch? What's the trick? There's a trick here. It's a trick question. I don't, I mean, I don't like that at all, but, um, uh, Abdel Hamid, you are on stage as well, so you get the opportunity as well to add to the conversation or completely take us in a different direction uh, because it is No Agenda Friday. Hello, everybody. Thank you for giving me, giving me the chance to, uh, to share with you uh, about the decisions. Um, I would like to share this view that uh, <clears throat> there is what we like, what we want, and what we are able to do, what we can. It's a balance between those three. Uh, for me, what we like is normally can be easily manipulated by the uh, marketing or others or the view of the others on us. Uh, what we want, it's not always easy to catch. What we can, it reduces us and will not give us enough uh, and will not make us into like the way of being ambitious. Uh, for me, it's always this, this three. I'm trying to regulate this in my life uh, to bring the, what I want in between what I like and what I can do. If I reduce myself, it, all my decisions will stick into what I am able to do. I'm not ambitious enough. If I put all my decisions on what I'm, I like, this is a little bit dangerous. But if I can regulate and I could be always in, uh, in the stage of what I want, then I am really free and I can control my life. And I'm using a lot uh, the intuition to be, uh, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, I love that. You know, I love that. And, you know, the different frameworks that are in place, and, and I mean, it's just they're coming thick and fast, right? The one thing is this idea of making smart and setting smart uh, objectives um, where smart stands for specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and timely. Um, another thing that comes from the, the EOS framework is this idea, which is actually very similar to what you just shared now, is this idea of when you're like actually evaluating someone in a position, you know, do they get it? Do they want it? Can they do it? So again, it's there's, there's the, the skills, the capability aspect there's, but the, you know, there's the attitude, the get it, the understanding, the talent, right? And then there's the want it, the passion. Um, it's whatever works for you um, and, and whatever helps you, again, make decisions, uh, evaluate, because there's, there's so much, you know, like, at the end of the day, it's very hard for us. We are complex 
and we are complicated and we are also simple and we're also simplistic uh, beings and we're all of we're all four of those things at the same time um, and it's very hard for us to compartmentalize you know, like be more rational be more emotional be more logical you know uh, be more left brain be more right brain you know what just in fact I want you to come I want you to solve this with exactly 50% left and 50% right we just can't do that it's very hard for us to regulate ourselves um, in that manner, and um, and and that's what also can lead to analysis paralysis. I also just want to add a, another comment, you know, as well, which is uh, Christopher was saying. Um, he was saying, "Great point by Praxim. I've seen many organizations make bad hires fast, and then act very slowly to unhire those bad hires." You know, they there there is a there is a, a missing piece to what you said, Mister Mister CJM which is they didn't think that they were making bad hires, did they? You know, they, they made bad hires fast, but they certainly weren't aware of the fact that they were bad hires, were they? What do you say? I was giving you a natural ability to unmute. But um, I imagine you may not be able. Oh, there you are. Sorry about that. I no, was, I didn't know uh, if you could or couldn't. So I know sometimes yeah. you can't. No, I definitely wanted to check the tech. And I think the volume uh, was a uh, yeah, challenge this week. <clears throat> Excuse me, just clearing my throat. You must be the first person I'm actually having a conversation with this morning. But uh, happy Friday. And, uh, you know, the sad reality is, Jaffe, I think a lot of times uh, managers know they're bad hires and they're afraid of the backlash. So they don't want to take accountability for saying, I effed up, right? So what they do is they just make it someone else's problem. And the challenge for the organization is then, you know, that bad manager, um, if left unchecked, does bad manager things, right? Or does bad leadership things or, you know, whatever that role is, it just gets worse before it gets better. And it's a case of, you know, um, it's very deep it's a demotivator for a lot of people in the organization that, you know, are now under that reign of bad leadership, but it really comes back to whoever made that hiring decision might say, well, you know, give it three years and see if it goes away, promote them out of the company, you know? (laughs) So it's almost like you're promoting bad behavior because accountability isn't really a a measurable goal in a lot of organizations. So uh, I don't know if that took it too far off track, but that's my thought. Um, yeah, but, 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 but my point was though, that they didn't, they didn't realize at the time that it was a bad hire. Uh, well, some hires I think are more political. So sometimes, you know, it's, you know, Hey, how bad could it be? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you've made, it's almost like, kind of like, you know, Hey, you supported my campaign. Here's your cabinet post. Um, and they're just not, prepared for the role. And if you have weak HR, you know, um, the training doesn't happen, you know, and this is not even delving into, you know, D&I and other issues. So I think a lot of times um, we give organizations credit for saying, hey, you know, you didn't know. But I think a lot of times they do know and they're just willing to, you know, take the hit because of, you know, the the politics of the organization. So that my thought is a lot of times they know more then they let on. It's so it's so insane and so sad and so um, no wonder companies are built to suck. When you actually, or even sometimes governments, when you actually realize, like, so I was asking the question 
and and you're right and you gave a whole bunch of reasons why but it if you just think about it for a moment how insane it is that actually people could be hiring knowing full well that these hires are bad hires and we're, and we're not ta- we're not and 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 we'll, let's just take you know dni and polit and dni and politics out of it we're just talking about in good faith you know this ability for someone to actually do the job that was advertised or you know that they responded to or based on the interview process um etc and now when you actually i mean I guess the point I'm trying to make is in this, you know, complicated, competitive, challenging world, how on earth can you succeed when you can't even hire the right people? Knowingly. I'm not saying unknowingly. I'm saying knowingly. I mean, you may as well just basically pack up and, you know, go and get a job somewhere. Uh, As an entrepreneur, it just must be so damn hard or in an environment when you are knowingly making these decisions. The unknowing part is the second part, which I think you were starting to talk about, which is now it's the, you know, like why, you know, if you hire quickly, then you should be able to fire quickly. All things being equal. All things being equal. As quickly as you brought them in, you should be able to kick them out if they're the wrong people. Of course, again, you know, depending on certain labor laws, um, it's it, it can actually be practically, literally impossible. So the stakes are so high, whether the, it's from a, again, a political, a regulatory, a, you know, structural, whatever standpoint. And then when you add the, the softer stuff, the politics, the ego, the subjectivity. So it's almost like there's the objective fallout, right, Chris? And then there's the subjective fallout. Um and how much wheel spinning takes place, and how much time gets wasted, and how many bad decisions, going back to decisions, get made. Is it any wonder that companies fail? Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, um, it could be a topic for another room, and I I see Bez in the audience, so I know he'll probably have uh, some thoughts, especially from an HR lens. But I think there's a cost to bad hires, and I think, um, you know, a lot of times... You know, to to look at it from the opposite side, just, let's just say you make a good hire in a bad environment, right? So, like, here's what we're doing, and here's the leader we need, and they're not supported because you've already got bad leadership in there. And then basically, you know, you go out, you pay a search firm, <laughs> you do all the things, right? You promote it, you market it, because you're like, look, we did the right thing, and you want the credit for doing the right thing, but you didn't have the intestinal fortitude to make sure that internally that person is supported and can do the work that you brought them in to do so a lot of times you know you you know companies will then quietly let someone go or you know they'll go in a different direction but they don't fix the root cause of of the problem which is you know hey you know this is amazing this team got us to where we need to be but they can't get us to where we're going and those are really hard decisions to make especially in large organizations because there's so many layers but I think that is like when when it comes down to it, a lot of times it's, look, you've got to have leaders that are willing to do the really hard things in order to make an organization better. And a lot of times that's, you know, it gets lost in the sauce. I actually, I read um, this um, amazing, you know, this is from a a whole Harvard Business Review piece um, about um, how companies grow. 
Um, and it was an update from the original author that said, um, he said, uh, the greatest resistance to change appears at the top because revolution often means that units under each senior executive will be eliminated or transformed. This is why we so often see new chief executives recruited from the outside and why senior managers frequently leave companies. Executives depart not because they are bad managers, but because they just don't fit in where the company needs to go. Um, and um, this may sound obvious to people, but, but the, 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 the spark here, the insight, is based on their looking backwards versus forward. That's, that's the essence. Right? The essence is if you are trying to grow, you are growing forward. If you are trying to be competitive, it's all about moving forward. It's not about maintaining the status quo. You know, it's not about defending what you have and what you've earned. I mean, it, that's, that's table stakes. So to me, the interesting insight here is that the reason why you see them leaving is because of their inability to actually let go of the past and therefore embrace what is to come. Now, oftentimes they may not have the skills, you know, to, you know, to um, uh, Abdul Hamid's point, um, they may not actually have the skills. As the old saying goes, people rise to the level of their own incompetence. And, um, and I've, you know, spoken on that many times before. Sometimes people do just get to the point where they've, they've hit their own ceiling. They have. And they just can't rise anymore. And no amount of training or skills um, is going to help them. And that is, an, that is an inevitable or necessary ending, to quote Bez's line, um, for sure. But I just found that to be really interesting, which is when we see this change, um, and and we can yeah we can comment on it. We can say, oh, well, it's political, or it's you know just cronyism, um, or it's I mean it 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 it's kind of cronyism, but in a way, it's actually it's a different version of it, right? So if an if 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 there is new you know uh, if there are people coming in. Uh, or before that external person is brought in, there is the ability to kind of almost embrace a new regime or a new change or under new management or a new way forward. And it's just change is damn hard. People don't like changing. People don't like unlearning and relearning. People do not like change in leadership. People just don't like it. And so they leave. But the the point I'm trying to make is, wouldn't it just be easier to say, well, yeah, sure, let's give it a go. <laughs> Why not? You know, okay, new style, new leadership, new strategy, new direction. Let's go for it. New adventure. I mean, I'm putting it in an oversimplified manner, but it just doesn't work that way. Why? But perhaps it could work that way. Perhaps it should work that way, where you say in order, you know, it, it's it's the quote, what got you here may not necessarily get you there. And it is that insight in of itself that actually explains a lot in terms of why people leave, why new people come in, um, and why, um, once again, 
you know, the decision to stay the course or the decision to kind of adapt um, is often, um, well, the decision is is often, which is I'm out of here, or or the comp- or the decision is made you're out of out of here because you do not necessarily have the ability to perhaps adapt embrace um what is to come as opposed to what has come it's very interesting stuff um is 8:59 go for it chris you have the last oh, yeah, word i'll just make uh, 15 seconds here so i think so we think about the future of work and again maybe a potential uh topic uh to be expanded on i think it's really about the fallout of that right so i think as you think about all those bad decisions and kind of that framework you just laid out one of the things that i think companies haven't factored in as much is now when people leave because of the rise of entrepreneurship and how much technology can help somebody before that left a big company you know really couldn't really service those clients in the same way but now through consultancy and technology and all these other things, that one person can have a bigger impact. So I think organizations now need to be a lot um, more adept at looking at, okay, legally, all these things, but also the impact of that talent actually leaving. Because usually what happens is if enough good talent leaves, the people that are left create an echo chamber, but they usually can't get the work done. Well, I'm going to actually let you have the last word because it is nine. Uh, and Praxim, forgive me for not giving you the last word today, uh, but you can have the first word next Friday. Um, have an amazing weekend. If you are in the US, happy Labor Day. Enjoy the extra day off. I may very well still, um, hello, Billy, just jumped in. I may very well still do a session on Monday morning if I'm awake. Um, so, And I may not because it is Labor Day. Um, our, our policy typically has been not to. So assume there will be nothing, there will be no Collective Cafe on Monday other than just informally hanging out with all of you. But wonderful, wonderful, wonderful room today. I love this whole decision tree and this whole um, Praxim-inspired discussion about why do you come here? Why do we come here? Why do any of us show up? Why do any of us, uh, why does Billy show up uh, at 9.01 a.m.? These are the questions in life. Uh, of course, anyone in Clubhouse is like, I don't know, even know what you're talking about. Billy's in uh, Discord right now. These are some of the questions in life that we will never know the answer to. Uh, and that is the joy and the mystery and the meaning of life, my friends. Have a happy, happy Friday, wonderful weekend, happy Labor Day, and see you all, if not on Monday, most likely on Tuesday. Cheers. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.